0: Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder and editor of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. In today's episode, we talk to our mountain bike editor, Noah Bodman. Noah is extremely good at riding bikes, and he is as good, and possibly even better, at writing about bikes. One of the best things about my job is that I get to talk to Noah a lot, so I'm excited to bring you all in on one of our conversations. Today, Noah and I discuss Aaron Gwynn's impressive victory this past weekend on his new bike, whether Noah thinks I could beat Gwyn down a DH course if I got to ride a DH bike and Gwyn had to ride a hardtail, and why Noah doesn't think I should shoot Gwyn in the leg in Butte, Montana. You're going to have to listen to the end to hear that part, but it's worth it. Noah and I also talk about the new bikes that he's most curious about this season, and where things stand on the 27.5 versus 29er front. We also talk about carbon wheels versus aluminum wheels, and what sort of rider would benefit most from going carbon. We then discuss the pros and cons of all the new bike standards getting thrown at us, including Boost, and what the real implications of all of these new options will be over the next five to 10 years. Finally, I asked Noah about his best bets for bikes. That is, the bikes he thinks amount to the surest things, the safest recommendations to a broad range of riders. We're still doing plenty of skiing around here, but things are warming up and the trails are drying out. So, today on the podcast, we're talking bikes. This episode of the Blister podcast is presented by New Belgium Brewing Company. This summer marks the 25th anniversary of Fat Tire, so, in honor of that benchmark, we raise our glasses to the beer that has a big fat bike on the bottle. Happy birthday, Fat Tire. And now, on to our conversation with Blister's mountain bike editor, Noah Bodman. So, we're going to start with the question that I always ask of all of our esteemed uh, podcast guests. Noah, where in the world are you? I am right now in Kalispell, Montana. Oh, I thought you were in Whitefish.
1: Well... I live in Whitefish. I work in Kalispell, but they're only like 12 miles apart.
0: Okay. Okay. Does that, do they ever talk about maybe calling it like Whitespell or Kalafish?
1: Kalispell is the bigger town, so um, I think Whitefish would probably have to change their name. But no, they don't talk about that. Um, Whitefish is kind of resorty, and Kalispell is more like Montana. So they, they don't really talk
0: to each other. Oh, ah, okay. So if you're shooting guns or shooting uh, bike body armor, you're doing that in Kalispell, definitely, not Whitefish. You might get arrested in Whitefish.
1: Well, when we were shooting bike body armor, we went, actually went over to Columbia Falls for that, which is uh, even more Montana Kalispell, I would
0: say. <laughs> Even uh, more Montana.
1: Yeah, they embrace uh, shooting almost anything there. Yeah. Uh, what's yeah. the,
0: what's the most Montana, Montana?
1: The most Montana. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, Butte is pretty Montana. <laughs> that
0: That's a fun town. Butte. So nobody in Butte, you can't, there's no, you can't get more Montana than Butte.
1: I'm Some would certainly argue that you could, but uh, if I'm going to have to pick one, from up here in Northwest montana, I'd say you know butte's uh it's, it's a good bet for it's it's a decent sized town too by montana yeah so um yeah, you know they're uh yeah butte, butte is montana,
0: okay, so if I'm looking for a place to go to just shoot anything at all, I should go to Butte
1: well, being a bigger town, they'd probably prefer you went outside of the city limits oh. um. But you know if you went to Butte on St Patty's Day, then you could probably get away with shooting stuff. <laughs> uh, they do it right there um,
0: <laughs> St Patty's Day that doesn't sound yeah. very montana
1: I know, but you know butte's uh it's eclectic, okay, but sounds yeah, pretty they,
0: cosmopolitan sounds more cosmopolitan than than you know more montana than uh North no, montana. I would not call Butte cosmopolitan. That's not, <laughs> that's not the word I would use. Okay.
1: Um, you know, cosmopolitan, you know, the closest thing we get to cosmopolitan might be like Bozeman.
0: Bozeman. Okay.
1: Maybe Missoula. They, they kind of compete for the most cosmopolitan in Montana.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, so I won't bring my guns. I won't bring the guns I don't own to Bozeman. Oh, so you those, can still bring them. I mean, yeah. this is Montana. Everywhere, I just can't shoot everywhere.
1: Everywhere embraces the guns. Um, yeah, you just maybe want to be, a, you know, you might get a sideways glance here and there in Bozeman if you were walking around with it just, you know, slung over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, other places in Montana, that probably is a, a little more commonplace.
0: Okay. All right, that's good to know. Thanks for sorting me out on Montana. I gotta come visit soon, it's been a while. Um, <clears throat> so uh, in case people don't know, well they know because I'll probably say something about this in the introduction, but you are our esteemed uh, mountain bike editor and so we're gonna talk to you about bike stuff today um, because it turns out that some people are riding bikes these days, including you, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I am, I am in bike mode.
0: But I wanted to talk to you first <clears throat> about a guy named Aaron Gwynn uh won a race this past weekend uh, in France, um, and it was his first World Cup race on a on a new bike from a new company uh, on the y, uh, from YT. Um, a lot got made about this. Um, obviously, there was a pretty high profile uh, switch in sponsorship from. Uh, specialized to YT and there was been a lot of speculation about how this was going to work out uh, for Gwen. And I think it's fair to say that dude took some flack about it, right? Like there was some internet, you know, angry folks saying that like proves this guy doesn't really care about what he's riding and he's just going to the highest bidder. Um, And I think given that it seems like um, the results, uh, you know, win on the first time out in a world cup race, um, maybe that quiets some of the angry people? I don't know. What was your What was your take on this?
1: Well, I mean, yeah. A- anytime somebody's switching to a new bike, there's always kind of a question of whether they're going to go fast on it. There's the same question and the same turmoil the last time Gwyn switched teams when he went from Trek to Specialized mm-hmm. and then... Uh, the specialized curse kicked in and he had like his worst season ever uh, in I think it was what 2013 on the uh, the previous version of the demo uh, but then he got a new version of the demo that's actually by the numbers pretty similar to the YT he's on now and so um, you know I don't know if that plays a part in him uh, doing pretty well on the YT but it's not Dramatically different from from the uh, the current version of the specialized demo that he was on last year. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's there's all kinds of speculation about about uh, how much he's getting paid and whether he's just going to the highest bidder and all that. Uh, you know, he's YT's a way smaller company than specialized, so. If they're paying him significantly more than Specialized, then good on him, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. YT has, I think, like three or maybe four different bikes in their line. Like, they literally make four different bikes. Specialized makes, I don't even know how many, like 50 different mm-hmm. bikes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the fact that YT, it's the, you know, it's this direct-to-consumer cons- company, they don't they don't have any dealers. They don't have a, a network of bike shops. So you're you, know, you buy a bike from them online, and they ship it to you. Eventually, there's, there's big wait times right now. But the fact that a company like that is even able to sign, Gwen I think, says something. You know, I kind of feel like the more interesting thing there isn't that this company has Gwynn or that he went fast on the bike or, you know, Gwynn's fast on anything you put him on. He's just fast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's great for him that he, that he was able to go fast first race of the season on the YT. I think it's more interesting that YT has this sort of different setup for the company where it's, it's a real departure for most of the U S companies that are operating with dealer networks. Um, and the fact that they're putting together a pretty high dollar race team mm-hmm. seems to indicate to me that they're doing well with
0: it. Quick question. Uh, back to Gwen being fast. Um, oh, yeah, I have an important question for you, actually. Take a kind of standardish um, DH course. Do you think I could beat Gwen in a race? if I was on a tricked-out DH bike and he was on a hardtail?
1: Um, well, the short answer is no. He would fucking destroy you, <laughs> like, with minutes to spare. <laughs> um, the long answer is, are, are we saying, like, an average DH course, like, you know, you can go to your local DH race and race there, or are you saying, like, an average DH course on the World Cup?
0: Mm, that's a good question. Because if it's an Whichever...
1: average age course on the World Cup, I would say not only will he destroy you, but you might die before you get to the bottom. Because hmm. those like... courses are a lot steeper and a lot gnarlier than they look on video.
0: I like um, the I like the version of the question where I neither die nor does he beat me by as many minutes. So um, so I
1: think I think what we're going to need to do here then is make it a pretty mellow course and make it really really short he's still gonna beat you but
0: you know I won't, but i probably won't die It won't be minutes if it's only like a 30 second course that's true um it might be on there okay what if what if he's on i'm still on my tricked out full suspension dh bike what if he's on a fully rigid bike uh same answer do my odds go up my odds have to go up don't they Gwyn might get a little slower. I mean, the
1: only way your odds go up is if Gwyn breaks the bike before he makes it to the finish. That's but awesome. I also, I think he's a pretty fit guy, so I bet he could run yeah. carrying the broken bike and yeah. still be fairly competitive.
0: Yeah, and it's not like he's ever performed well on broken bikes before. No, no, no. He has
1: no history of making yeah. it down the course with malfunctioning <laughs> equipment.
0: Okay. What if he were on a big wheel? Like like, a, like a, one of the three-wheel
1: things? Yeah. Those break a lot.
0: So it'd mostly be... I know this from
1: personal experience.
0: So it'd mostly be he would break the thing probably in the first turn, and then it would just be him in a foot race versus me riding a bicycle down a DH course. I think I could take him in those circumstances.
1: I still think it depends on the course. <laughs> wow. This
0: is... Now, taking into account, I've never
1: actually ridden the bike with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but
0: but Gwen's pretty fast. Like running? You think he's like a good track athlete too? Like a...
1: I would assume he does some cross training or something, right?
0: Oh, man. This is not where I, I do not like how I'm coming out in this conversation. But anyway. All right. Well, gauntlet. It, it, I'm throwing down the that gauntlet. That
1: bad. It's just that he's
0: that good. Okay. I still think I could beat him if he has to ride it a big wheel. So Um, I'm throwing uh, down the gauntlet. Gwen, if you're listening any fucking time, buddy,
1: I, I'm sure he is trembling. (laughs) All
0: right. Next question. Um, I want to get the sense from you of some of the models, um, that you are particularly interested in. Um, you know, and why, what should, Uh what do you think people should be, uh, most curious about for this for this coming bike season.
1: I really think the the interesting bikes that are coming out now are the uh, like super aggressive two Um You know, we just put out a quick little press release on the s b five point five c from yeti. Mm-hmm. Uh has got the reckoning coming out uh, and and then on the shorter travel end, you know, I'd mentioned the evil following that's that was new last year and, and uh, Kona's got the process One Eleven, and transitions got the smuggler. And there's a whole bunch of other ones that aren't springing to mind right at the moment, but, but these kind of slacked out aggressive two niners and, and I don't know, aggressive is a stupid term to use, but yeah. Um, and you know, for such a long time, two niners sucked so bad. And I mean, the wheels roll over stuff really well, but the bikes just weren't fun at all. And and that's finally really changing. And not only is it changing, but there's there's options hitting the market. You know, I did the uh, the Canfield Yelly Screamy review probably four or five years ago now and I was like one of the first two-niners that I ever rode where I was like this thing is actually fun and it's still fun like I still ride that exact bike mm-hmm. um, and that was a hardtail like it's a little easier to, to make everything work right on the hardtail but now that's that's evolved there are a bunch of other two-niner hardtails that are also awesome and, and now there's these full suspension two-niners that are that are really good um and and now you've got bikes like like that sb 5.5 and the evils reckoning where they're they're starting to push the limits of how slack they can get away with on a two er, and uh and i'm interested to see how that shakes out um you know some of that is they they needed the suspension companies to play along with them to get fork offsets that worked well with those slacker two niners. And then, you know, there's always the issue of getting rims and tires that are worth running on a bike that you're going to be smashing into stuff with. Um, Because, you know, for a long time, it was a lot more XC oriented stuff on the two niners, but now you can get pretty much any worthwhile tire in a 29-inch uh, wheel and and you can get good rims that'll actually hold up and, and you know carbon wheels to actually make the you can get a beefy rim that doesn't weigh a ton so anyways um it, it, I guess it's not really one specific bike yeah but it's it's a bunch of these bikes and it's kind of you know the specialized enduro 29 has been around for a little while and it it was one of the Early ones and that sort of longer travel aggressive minor uh, and a lot of people really liked it. I think it's really good in certain situations. Um, and then now you've got these other bikes that are that are just pushing it even farther. They're going slacker and longer, um, and and uh, yeah, I, I think they'll be a ton of fun. What I'm kind of waiting to see is if they're a ton of fun everywhere, or if they're a ton of fun really just in a straight line because they're so damn big that they just really won't
0: go around a corner uh easily. Yep. So, so in, uh, in that whole monologue of yours, did you even say twenty seven five or six fifty B? No, I didn't.
1: I mean, I think you know, I'm 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 talking 20 ers but I'm not you know, I'm, like this whole spring, I've been on 27.5. I've been riding my uh, DaVinci Spartan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those things are a ton of fun. You know, up until, well, up through now, I, I've always kind of been of the opinion that I prefer on a shorter travel bike, I would rather it be a 2.9er. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. They just roll over stuff really well. And the shorter travel format, um the bike's easy enough to push around that that's usually the, the problem i have with two niners this is just they feel big and they feel unwieldy and so on a shorter travel bike that's not quite as much of an issue just because you're not battling both the 29 inch wheels and a bunch of suspension yep um and you know generally those shorter travel bikes have a little bit shorter wheelbases and, and slightly steeper angles that type of thing so so the bikes are are workable but when you get up towards like 160 mil travel bike I usually pre- have preferred the 275 inch wheels just because the 29 inch wheels like like on the enduro 29 I just feel like they're they're a handful um and so that's why I'm kind of curious about bikes like the reckoning and the and the sp 5.5 just to see if if those companies have figured out a, a way to tweak the geometry so that those bikes don't feel like such a handful. Um, but but yeah, I mean, for for a, uh, a longer travel bike, like an enduro bike or whatever you want to call it, I would still generally lean towards a 27.5 wheel. I just don't think there's as much really interesting <laughs> stuff going on with those. You know, those bikes are basically the same as they were when they were 26-inch wheel bikes. Yep. they just tweaked them a little bit for 27.5, and, and they're still going through the same kind of evolution that they've been going through for the last, I don't know, forever. Um, but but there's nothing really groundbreaking that I'm seeing there. Still, what, lots of great bikes. Just just nothing that's nothing that's you know blowing my mind.
0: Yeah. What, by the way, <laughs> when you're talking about shorter travel, what's your over under? I mean I I don't know if everybody has the same number in mind when they say shorter travel um okay. but for me so- for me the over under is like 130 mil travel yeah. um and 100
1: under 130 mil travel I would generally prefer a 29er above 130 mil travel I would generally prefer a 275 uh, or 650 yeah. um and you know and then right on that line you got bikes like the santa cruz 5010 it's a ton of fun and that's 27.5 wheels um you know right on that line it's sort of like well where am i riding i guess yep. the question about yeah. any of this is where am i riding
0: but, yep. but
1: if i'm gonna you know just pick a bike for all around riding everywhere you know wherever i end up then if it's a shorter travel bike under 130 um the big wheels you know they just cruise along
0: they're fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, carbon wheels, um, and more specifically, carbon wheel sets versus aluminum wheel sets. Um, I know that you are presently um, spending quite a bit of time on a number of different wheel sets um, that you're reviewing, and um, <clears throat> it seems like we're hearing a whole lot more about you know a number more and more manufacturers of carbon wheel sets and. I guess I'm wondering for, you know, where are we with kind of carbon versus aluminum wheel sets? Are carbon wheel sets going to kind of continue to be the, stay in the domain of like the most passionate, dedicated mountain bikers? Um, Or are we seeing a trickle down effect where casual uh, mountain bikers will, are are we going to see that kind of moving into the more, like, I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, more recreational riders or do you think for a while we're still going to have them staying among people that really dork out about this stuff um
1: I don't know That that's a
0: tough question I think they will most certainly trickle
1: down um there's no question there I think I guess for the most part I just kind of see it as as like an economy of scale issue um mm-hmm once the pretty much all the carbon or at least the the lower priced carbon stuff is all getting produced one for the most part. Um, and so once those factories are ramped up to the point where they can just crank those things out and, and really produce quantities of them, the, the price will obviously come down a bit. And we're already seeing that to some extent. There's a bunch of semi-generic uh, Asian brands that are producing these carbon rims that you know they're still more expensive than aluminum stuff, but they're I don't know I think sub four hundred bucks at this point per rim, um, which certainly isn't cheap. But uh, a decent aluminum rim is a hundred bucks, so um, they're getting closer. I think they'll continue to get closer. Um, so yeah, I think we'll start seeing carbon rims on on uh, mid price bikes. Right now, you only see them on the top of the line stuff. Uh, I think they will trickle down into sort of the middle of the range for a bunch of bikes. I still think it's a few years out though, um, and you know, long term, it wouldn't surprise me at all if if uh, even even less expensive stuff was sporting carbon rims. yeah. Um, but, so, it'll get there. I think it's like anything, it just takes time to trickle down, and it's it's sort of still new technology, so they're still working out the things.
0: I mean, mm-hmm.
1: especially for some of those lower-priced ones, um, it's uh, seems a little bit hit or miss on durability. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. and rims do take a beating.
0: Yeah. And I know... In your, you know, you kind of opened your last um your last review uh of an Envy wheel set by saying like, crap, I now want these wheels on all of my bikes. And Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh talk to me a little bit about I mean you're you're somebody who I think um it's safe to say, while I enjoy making fun of you primarily, um I think it's safe to say that you um are a capable rider who's pretty good at kind of maxing out what a particular bike can do. Um, I'm somebody who, when I'm riding, it's like bikes are so freaking good these days. Um, and mostly when I'm riding bikes, I'm thinking like, you know, don't break a collarbone. Cause I probably have to go ski somewhere fairly soon. Um, you know, so if somebody isn't pinning it on a bike, I mean I guess there's there's this the the story about saving weight, right? But in terms of ride characteristics, if I if I feel or somebody out there feels like I'm not I'm not maxing out, I'm not getting super gnarly when I'm out, you know, on a bike. Does that you know, at what point do you kind of say like dude, there's really no reason for you to be thinking about carbon wheels? Um, because you're not going to get the benefit or notice the ride, the difference in ride quality, or is it... St- uh, it's is just it... The, it's the weight. Okay, really. it is just the weight I reduction. Mean,
1: I, I mean, there is a difference in r- ride quality. I mean, they, they feel different. You know, personally, it, it is not such a difference that I would say, yeah, you if if it's going to be the same weight, I'm never going to tell anybody to get on a carbon rim for the difference in ride quality. Like it's kind of nice, but it's not, it's not, uh, life changing, I don't think. Um, but the lightweight is really nice, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know. I, I think, yeah, I'm spending some time on these NVM 70 HVs right now, and I was thinking about this on my ride last night. I mean, I think those things ride about the same as a wheel set that's probably like. 300 grams heavier uh just in terms of stiffness because that's always been the problem with aluminum rims it's like well you can you can make a super light aluminum rim it's not that hard but they don't hold up at all and they're super flexy and so they ride like crap and so the envies i mean they're stiff Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and so you know i'd say they're equivalently stiff to an aluminum rim that's like yeah 300 grams heavier the whole wheel set so like 150 grams heavier per rim Mm -hmm. and that's a lot 150 grams per rim is very noticeable Mm -hmm. um they just you know they they're easier to snap into a corner they accelerate more quickly any 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 time you have to move the bike around it's just that much easier and it's rotating weight so you've got the whole you know, centrifugal effect thing going on that, you know, I'm, I'm really just conjuring up memories of like here. So <laughs> I, I'm not going to quantify anything, but, uh, it's noticeable. I guess I'd leave it at that.
0: Okay.
1: So, I mean, that's not to say, you know, if, if you're kind of the average rider and, and, you know, you're not concerned with trying to get KOMs on Strava or whatever, like, am I saying that everybody should go out and drop reed rand on a wheel set? Like, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, right now I just think they're they're too expensive to appeal. I mean, even if they're the best thing out there, they're just too expensive for the vast majority of riders to to go for. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But they are really nice, and yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm saying it kind of sucks to be spending time on these things, because now it's like, yeah, I've, I've sort of seen the light, but I still can't afford it.
0: Yeah. But by your, I mean, everything you've just said, though, it actually, it's not about, you know, these really are only for the best riders who are really maximizing what they can get out of a, oh, no. out and of everybody a setup. Everybody would benefit from it. Everybody would benefit, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Well, then when I race Gwyn, I'm definitely putting carbon carbon wheels on my d h bike um but he does not get to put carbon wheels on his uh big wheel, just to be clear <laughs> just to be clear um let's talk a little bit about bike standards um because there are a lot of them and it's uh and they seem to be multiplying not really um, not really standard
1: anymore if there's yeah. That-
0: what do we call it? What's what's the new bike options? New bike options. Yeah. Plentiful bike options. Um Either SRAM or
1: everything else.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. SRAM's
1: kind of been pushing a lot of these uh these new standards or options or whatever. Okay.
0: Um and you've you've written well um on the site. In fact, we should put a link to the article, um, where you sort of talk about—I mean—you've been a guy, kind of, you know, against this proliferation of options. Um, and I think you've actually said some good and smart things about why, um, you know, that it can keep costs high, and and it, yeah, it, it can be a tricky system. But so, so, given all of that, and given that chances are um, we will see some of this tough, uh, some of these options kind of catch on, others maybe fade away. If we're trying to project out, um, I don't know, either five years from now or then 10 years from now, what of the current mess of stuff, whether it's boost or plus or you know, on and on and on, what, what do you think has the best chance of really um, gaining ground and gaining market share and what do you think has the greatest chance of maybe fading away?
1: I mean, most of the new stuff that's coming out now, I think, will probably stick around because it's being pushed by SRAM and they're a big company and and everybody else is going to follow them kind of whether they want to or not. Um, you know, in the past, there were smaller companies that came up with some new innovative idea and they tried to push it and it just fizzled because... That company didn't have enough market share to really force it on everyone um you know, like a example would be 1.5 inch head tubes that uh manitou and some of the other companies were trying to push and it just it wasn't a terrible idea but it just never really caught on because some of the other companies never really adopted it and so it just sort of fizzled um but now that sram's pushing these and I think they're doing it. Uh, they're being smart about it. That you know they're pushing it, and they're getting some of the other big companies on board with them when they're doing it. Um, so I'd be surprised if some of the stuff like Boost and uh, like the new Metric Shock standards that they released not too long ago, and and some of that type of thing. I, I'd be surprised if those fizzled. Um, and the problem isn't that the ideas are bad. I mean, there's, I think, arguably, of course, but there's solid engineering behind all of these new things that they're doing, and they make sense, at least to some extent. The problem is that they're all coming on so fast. We're transitioning between all of these different new standards that it, it makes everything that we're riding now obsolete so damn quickly uh you know the they're not giving the market time to kind of adjust to all these new standards over time you know it's like when uh you know like when trail bikes transitioned from 135 millimeter rear ends to 142 millimeter rear ends like it was gradual you could you know, the hub makers could make adapters to make things compatible with either one. And it was sort of, you know, they kind of eased it in there a little bit. But now all this new stuff, it's like, well, they're not building in any backwards compatibility. And they're throwing a lot of us at it, a lot of this at us pretty quickly. Um, And so... Yeah, it's like, you know, I've I've got bikes that are literally less than a year old that are already obsolete because they don't have boost, and, and it's tough. You know, like I've got, like you just said, I've got some wheel sets that I'm reviewing, and they're all, uh, none of them are boost. And so it's actually, you know, I'm just looking at my spring here, and it's like, well, I, I need to spend more time on these wheels to get a Good review put together, but the the bikes that I have coming to review are Boost. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, this is just a hassle. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and and the same thing is going to happen in the upcoming years with with the rear shocks. Now you know, SRAM's changed all their rear shock sizes, and so it makes sense what they're doing. I mean, I I get the the engineering rationale behind it. But you know now, not only is the bike not going to be, not going to fit the right hubs and the axles are going to be different, but now the rear shock's going to be different, and and so yeah, it's tough um, because I do think all of these uh, changes make for better bikes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I think the improvement is small. And the cost is, uh, well, the cost is is a, a high level of annoyance, really.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I don't know what we do with all that then. Yeah, that was a lot. <laughs> well, I just, yeah, I mean, I guess in, in short, all of the tech will stick around, and it just means that it will be trickier when you have to be upgrading or buying new parts for bikes, etc., and we don't have.
1: Well, and I think, I mean, I mean, I guess the question in my mind is less whether these new standards will stick around. I think most likely they will. The question is how much of the old standards will also stick around. Yep. Um, so, like, you know, on the metric shock sizes thing, RockShox is on board with it, as is King Creek and X Fusion and some of the other uh, common shop manufacturers, but notably Fox suspension is not on board with it so the question is is this going to be one of those things where fox comes around on it in a year or two because all the frame manufacturers are building their their frames around these new shock sizes uh in which case you know i think the old sizes will kind of fade away and die or is this going to be a thing where fox says no we are also a large suspension manufacturer and we don't want to retool and you know redo everything for these new shock sizes. So we're going to stick with this. And then you've got this you know suspension war, and the frame manufacturers are going to have to pick which standard they want to go with. Um, and as you know, as a consumer, that sucks because then it's like, oh, you know, I bought a frame from this company, which means that I am stuck using whatever Fox suspension for the life of that frame, uh, and you can't switch. Um, so, you know, as long as Fox t- keeps making good stuff, then you're fine. But, but uh, if Fox goes through a lull, then, you know, maybe you want to throw a Cane Creek on there or something, but you couldn't because Cane Creek doesn't make the right stuff. Anyways, um, so that, that'll be the interesting thing is, is whether the old standards stick around. Um, and, you know, like right now with Boost, some companies are still making 142 rear ends. A lot of companies have jumped on Boost, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you know it, it's tough when you've got your your nice wheel set. You got your nice carbon wheel set that you paid for, and it's it's not compatible with your next frame. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you give me like the 30 to 60 second um, description of Boost, just in case? Um, somebody's like, what is boost? Are there any performance downsides? Um, I mean,
1: you've got a wider rear end, right? It's that's arguably a downside, you know, it's, it's wider, like, you know, it's, it's a little more prone to clipping stuff. Your rear derailleur sitting a little bit farther out there. Yep. It's not a lot, so I would say the performance downsides are pretty minimal.
0: Yep. Easier to smack a derailleur is maybe the biggest downside.
1: Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, I mean, aside from all of the downsides of it not fitting any of your old stuff. Right. Uh, but yeah, in terms of performance downsides, that's that's probably the biggest one. Okay. Um, you know, it's like I said, it's, it's not a, it's not a bad idea. If, if we were, you know, 1982 and designing the mountain bike from the ground up and it's like, yeah, yeah, boost. Awesome. It's a great idea. Okay. Uh, but we're not.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unless until, until we invent a time machine at blister, I think, I think Tom Collier is working on that right now at, at, uh, at blister labs. Good of them, um, yeah. um, man. He's working on time machines, and I'm just shooting knee pads. I, I can feel. <laughs> Tom's <laughs> I, I smart.
1: A, uh, I should do something better with my blister lab time.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, um, it comes back to that moderate intelligence thing that you and I have discussed. Uh, yeah, you know, Tom, Tom's smart guy, Ivy Leaguer, and all that. Yep, exactly. Um, so yeah, while well, you shoot knee pads he's uh he's going to solve he's going to go back in time for the primary reason of um making boost unproblematic um yeah. i like i like the idea that that's what blister that's why blister is is uh is uh, exploring time travel as opposed to some of the other ills of the world that we might be able to address but um yeah. actually i now i really like the idea of like a tv series where tom goes back in time And, you know, in episode one, he makes Boost an unproblematic thing. And, you know, I just, this is a good thing. I'm going to start working on that script, I think.
1: Yeah. Episode one is him and Gary Fisher hanging out (laughs) and like talking Genesis geometry and stuff like that. And then episode two, he's like, I don't know, giving some tips to Napoleon or something. (laughs) Yeah.
0: This is going to be a great TV show. On the site, one of the things we did um, that I think was pretty interesting on the ski side of things is um, we did this little series called like blisters best bets. And that came about not to identify like, what are the very best skis out there? That wasn't really the question. The question was more like, what are kind of the safest recommendations or the skis that are the the closest thing to a, a kind of sure thing, um, you know, uh, it's the best bet when if you've got a bunch of different people coming and saying, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a new ski, you know, kind of do everything, don't have something very, very specific in mind. And I I wanted to ask that same question on the bike side, because um, in, in, I don't know, in a lot of respects, I think that it's equally relevant, possibly more relevant. So... In surveying the stuff that's currently out there, if I came to you and just said, "Hey, man, I I like riding bikes. I you know I'm kind of in the market, want to get something new. You know, going to be doing trail riding, but um, you know, not really looking to something to murder it on the downhill. But I definitely don't want something to be a total chore. If I you know, if my friends want to go somewhere to climb for three days, so kind of the do it all, all purpose." bike are there is there something on the i guess i'll ask you maybe uh, well starting on the trail side and then maybe we can talk about on the dh side or or other things do you do you have strong opinions about like this is just a super good solid bet um in those kind of general terms um i mean
1: it, it's tough because bikes are pretty good these days Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, there's a lot of really good ones and it's down, like the difference between them are small, noticeable, but small. So, it, it, yep. you know, it, it's uh, deciding which of those small differences matters the most to you. It's kind of like, well, it's kind of a personal decision and it depends a lot on where you're riding. But I, I mean, if I was just going to pick a trail bike and I knew nothing about a person and it's just like they just need a <laughs> solid bike, doesn't cost a fortune that will be fun. Um the transition smuggler for a two er is like I I have a hard time imagining anybody wouldn't have fun on that thing, hmm. unless they're the kind of person that just hates two niners.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um right. for a 275, uh kind of the same thing for a Santa Cruz 5010. Like those things are just fun bikes. Um it's it's not the bike I would pick all the time everywhere, but if I'm going to pick one bike and I don't know where I'm going, then then that's a pretty safe bet. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, for longer travel stuff, it gets a little more complicated, I think. Yes. Because, you know, there's some of the longer travel bikes are really pretty downhill oriented, um, whereas some of them try a little bit harder to retain some worthwhile pedaling characteristics so there kind of depends more on where your priorities are um, like i said i've got a da vinci spartan that's a ton of fun um uh, you know the only downside there is that it's not super light. um but uh you know i don't mind riding it uphill for a while and and it's it's uh more fun than a barrel of monkeys on the way down that sounds pretty fun it is pretty fun monkeys are
0: fun Okay. Um, And yeah, I think that, I mean, it actually kind of then makes the case if, if, if bikes are generally pretty good, then I guess the reason to write really long form reviews is to be able to hone in on that kind of uphill performance versus downhill performance and just get as clear as possible about where a given bike fits in among all the other offerings and a person can then kind of pick about, yeah, I do care more about, you know, pedal ability as opposed to, you know, pillage ability, I guess, on the downhill. Um, So teasing out those differences. um, Yeah, and I feel like
1: such a huge part of it is the suspension setup, too. Like, if anybody, you know, if there's two moderately equivalent, like 160 mil travel bikes that have, more or less similar geometry but you know maybe a little bit different suspension uh you know linkage if somebody's like i love this bike it is the best thing ever and i hate that other one i can't stand it the first thing that generally pops into my mind is like well they just didn't have the suspension set up right because if you get those two bikes dialed in they're not they're just not going to be that different yeah they're, they're different i'm not saying that you know somebody wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the two. But if somebody is, is night and day between them, then, you know, I really just think that that's an issue of setup because you can make any given bike feel so different just by messing around with the suspension. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's it as much as anything.
0: Very good, man. Well, good to talk. And, um, We'll, uh, we'll have to do it again soon when I, when I come up with more questions like whether I could beat Gwyn in a DH race given... I,
1: I think if we keep modifying the terms of the race, we'll yeah. eventually uh, get to a condition where you're able to not lose and survive the race.
0: Like if we held the race in Butte, then I could shoot him in the leg first and maybe no one really cares and then I'll beat him.
1: I don't think that's very sporting, and the Butte people will care. Oh. I don't think they look kindly on you shooting people. Oh, I said you could shoot just about anything, but people is probably off the...
0: Don't shoot uh, people. I, I don't you. want
1: the good people of Butte to hear this podcast and come after me for maligning their their city. See, that's um, funny.
0: See, that's funny, because I do want that, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: but you don't live near Butte. <laughs> right. I don't live near Butte. Either. So this one um this works out well for me um okay well we won't shoot Aaron Gwynn in butte um at all but uh they do have a they do uh an urban downhill race in butte as
1: part of the evil knievel days because evil knievel was from butte um and so yeah they do this race that's like because butte's kind of on on a hill so they do a race through town and, uh, you know, you, you drop out of some buildings and do some jumps over uh, snake pits. Um, no, are you serious? Yeah, yeah it's Evil to Needle days, you jump over snakes. And I think, I think one year they even had, like, a tiger or something, <laughs> they were supposed to, um, that you're supposed to jump over. And you jump over some cars and stuff. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, maybe, maybe that should be the venue. We can invite uh, Aaron, Gwen, to that
0: uh no no i want to go to that event but i'm definitely not jumping over snakes
1: Uh, well yeah i mean i guess we're getting back to we need to yeah create a course that really plays to your strong points
0: i definitely think we need to go to that race though um this needs some race coverage we'll send you we'll send you and then We'll see if the people of Butte shoot you for talking bad about Butte or if they never, if I didn't welcome. talk
1: bad about Butte. I said Butte is like the the one of the most Montana, Montana. towns. That's true. So well, that actually, that no, that, that's not an insult. That's though, Montana not Montana, an
0: insult. Place. They should be proud of that. It's the most Montana town there is. I don't so know I, if it's most Montana,
1: like Libby might be getting pissed off.
0: Oh. Right now, i but. think the people of Butte are going to welcome you with open arms and be like noah we we would love to have you jump over our snake pit
1: i could be the evil knievel days correspondent yeah yeah
0: um, i like where this is headed i like where this is headed um yeah. and I'm, I, I'm now picturing <laughs> you jumping over tigers wearing the white evil knievel suit with like the you know like you know the stars and stripes down the sides right it's a good look this has been a very productive podcast, so I'm, I'm glad we had this conversation.
1: I'm so nervous about this.
0: <laughs> well, maybe you should be, but on that note, I think we're going to leave off, and, uh, but good to talk, and I, I, I can't wait to do it again.
1: <laughs> All right. Um, I don't know if I'm going to say any time, but uh, good talking to you. <laughs> All
0: right. Take care, Noah. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Noah Bodman for the conversation, to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob, who happens to be having his bachelor party this weekend. Hearts are breaking all across the land, that's for sure. And to New Belgium Brewing Company for sponsoring this episode. Go to newbelgium.com to check out all of their current offerings. Till next week, check us out online at blisterreview.com, and if you haven't already, subscribe to the Blister Podcast in iTunes. And while you're in iTunes, we'd really, really like it if you'd go to the ratings and reviews section and left us some nice ratings or reviews. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next week.